Hello, audio friends, and welcome to the latest episode of the Abby Khan Show. You guys have been showing me so much love lately, and I firstly want to say thank you for that. And I'm going to show you some love right back by introducing you to today's guest, Dr. Mike Massey. Today, we're going to talk all about physical therapy for athletes, as Mike is a physical therapist. We're going to talk about finding the void in your training. We're going to talk about off-season and where I, that is where all the growth happens and what you need to do to take advantage of that. We're going to talk a little bit about eccentric loading. We're going to talk about longevity for training. We've got a lot of stuff in here for you guys, and you're going to absolutely love this episode. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Dr. Mike Massey. You're listening to The Abby Khan Show, a podcast that inspires people to achieve what they once believed was impossible. My name's Abby Khan. I'm an actor, health and fitness coach, and it is my mission to connect with interesting people, share their stories, find out how they optimize their lives for success, and how you can do the same. Dr. Michael Massey from Massey Fitness, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Right, uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I've no doubt people are going to get a ton out of it, especially practical tips. But for the people that may not know who you are, can you just give us a quick little background, who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a physical therapist and I'm also a strength coach. So, um, you know, I went to school to become a physical therapist, but I even before that, I was writing programming for athletes and I was training and doing all that good stuff. And, um, and uh, and I, I was competing in powerlifting and, 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 and other sports like, you know, on the field, football, wrestling, things like that. So I've always had that place in the gym. And then I've always had that rehab. And, and then I kind of ran into that rehab world that back. And not a lot of people in that world had that same um, exercise science background. And so what I've liked to do is I, I think of it as like a Venn diagram and I live in the middle. And that's kind of what I do now. I work with a lot of, uh, um, strength sport athletes, powerlifters, bodybuilders, crossfitters, Olympic weightlifters, things like that. And a lot of uh, people just trying to, um, to like even weekend warriors and stuff like that. So I work with a lot of those populations, uh, help them deal with their injuries, help them recover from their injuries, get back on the platform or wherever they want to go. Um, that's what I, that's what I do. That's what I love to do. That's pretty much the, the crooks of my business. And what got you into that specifically? Was that always the passion? Like you just love movement, you loved sports. You're like, how do I get better at the sport myself? What was the reason you went into that field? That's a good question. I, uh, you know, so I started working, I mean, I guess this goes way back. I mean, way, way, way back. I was a kid. I was always in um, like uh, travel football leagues and basketball leagues and things like that. And the football leagues, what they did was they didn't separate it by age. They separated by weight class. And so I was always heavier um, as, a, as, a, as a kid. And so I had to lose a certain amount of weight to get into a certain weight class. And, and this, I'm talking like middle school, like, you know, elementary. Like this is like really young. I had to learn about how to lose weight. And, and, uh, and I did it pretty effectively. I mean, my coaches that worked with me, they told me, hey, look, you know, you got to, you know, eat some salads and things like that. And I had to learn how, like, how what hunger felt like, you know, and uh but on top of that, I had to still be strong and, and I had to still practice and I had to go on and, and, and it was, it was challenging, but I learned about it and I experienced it. And so that experience was something that not a lot of kids had, you know, at, in that age. So when I, in the circles that I ran in, you know, getting older, I was the go-to resource for this stuff. And, um, 
And I didn't really realize that, I guess, until I did a lot of reflecting. Because honestly, when I went to, grad, to, to undergrad, I was in um, undergrad for accounting. <laughs> and and uh, I took a few accounting classes, and I was like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, this is terrible. I'm, I'm not good at this. I, and, and even at that time, I worked in a gym. So I worked I worked at a Gold's Gym in high school, and then I worked at a uh, at the Recreation Wellness Center for UCF in undergrad. And I've basically, you know, played sports and done all this fitness and all this other stuff. And I've been living that life and sit scratching my head the whole time. Like, what am I going to do with my life? You know, <laughs> and I didn't realize I just kind of like, look at what do I spend most of my time doing? Um, so sure enough, I got out of accounting as fast as I could. I went right into preclinical outlet health, which that was my, it's like a springboard to get into like, you know, whether it's occupational therapy, physical therapy, pre-med, things like that. Um, I got into, uh, I wanted to become a physical therapist. That was pretty much my go-to. I went there. But this whole thing started from being the the resource. People came to me. I'm the guy who worked in the gym. I knew how to spot. I knew how to do all the exercises relatively correctly. Um, I knew how to, you know, what foods were better and which was worse and how to lose weight and what good strategies there were and how, what kind of practical application to apply. All that good stuff. Um, now, I mean, granted, there was a, actually, I think what motivated me the most I mean, there was a lot of times where there was questions I couldn't answer because I just didn't know the answer. And I was never really one to just pretend I knew it. So I, I had to look it up. And, and, um, and that was once I realized that, I think, I think I realized that that's what I want. That's where I, that's the direction I needed to go in, in school, right? Like school would be fun for me. It wouldn't be like accounting was miserable just sitting there trying to take in information that I just didn't want anything to do with. And I just, I guess I assumed school was supposed to be that way, but really like when I got into health and fitness and and wellness, I started learning about that stuff. It was me basically researching and learning about all the things that I either already knew or loved to know. And and it was amazing. Ever since then, things came real easy because like I was, eh, Oh, I got by as a student. And then as soon as I got into there, I mean, my grades just went through the roof. I was like, you know, top, Five ten percent of my class, like moving through all the grad school, graduated, um, went to seek out postdoctoral education. So I went into orthopedic residency. I became an orthopedic specialist. Then I became a sports specialist. And then I was just like, I just kept school going. Like I even went back to school to become a registered dietitian. In which case, I got through all the didactic work. Now, basically, if I did a um, a if I did like a six month internship, which is like a full time six month internship, at the end I can take the, the exam and become a dietitian. So it's like, you know, I, I, I loved it so much that I just kind of engulfed myself in it. But that's what got me here. You know, I, I think it was that just having being that go to person and answering those questions, understanding my love for that kind of stuff, and then and then it just took me along this path and here I am. I think it's always funny um, in life, and this happens to all of us, I'm sure, how the, the universe lays our passion before us. And it's it's always sort of there, and it's only until we actually do some reflection or just open our eyes and be like, hold on a second. What, like, what am I actually already doing that I actually love? Maybe I should just go and do that. <laughs> I know, right? Isn't that crazy? Mm. Like, and, and it's, it, I guess it's, it does, it requires that reflection, you know? And it, it yeah. requires you to, for a second because it might be right there in front of you like you said and it but it, but you will never know until you like look back and you say this is what i do these are the magazines i subscribe to these are the people i hang out with these are the hobbies that i get into this is what i'm good at this is what i wouldn't mind doing right and like 
And then you're like, why don't I do this? <laughs> like, mm. why, like, I'm better than everybody I know at this. Why am I not getting paid to do this? It happens, I mean, all the time. I, I think about that and I help other, like, because I, I, I have a lot of students that come to me, whether they're in like, undergrad and they're just trying to, like, feel out what they want to do, or maybe they're actually doctoral, like, uh, like uh, DPT students that are coming to me. But a lot of them have these dilemmas, and I, I tell them, I'm like, what do you like to do? And they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, let's figure this out. This isn't a, you know, I'm in middle school and I'm okay. It's okay to know that kind of stuff. And to not know that kind of stuff. This is a like, let's figure it out. You can, you have the information in front of you. You just don't know it yet. You just have to piece it together, you know? So yeah, it's I'd... fun. Yeah, but absolutely. You were, you touched on something there, which I found really interesting. And you touched on it at a very, very young age. And that was hunger. And as we, as we, know ourselves like as as coaches working with clients when we're trying to teach people that, that it's okay to be hungry especially if you're in a caloric deficit you try to drop body fat it's okay to be hungry our bodies are naturally designed to go through this famine and be okay to survive and it's funny when when talking with clients um we look at an initial nutrition plan initial consultation hey let's have a look at what you're actually eating and obviously generally it's it goes one of two ways. Usually it's an astronomical amount of food or it's the other one looks like you're four weeks out from a bodybuilding show. You're like, that's not what you fucking eat. And they're just like, no, I swear to God. I was like, look, um, I, it's not. And then uh, always, every single time after about 30 minutes, they go, oh, you know what? I actually do have these other things. You're like, why don't you just tell me that to start with? But um, it's uh, it's interesting because when we're talking to these certain people or these these people, they get confused like oh well I was hungry but generally when they say okay I'm hungry they will reach for a snack and that snack is generally something highly calorically dense very low nutrient dense and they're obviously still hungry so they will then eat again and again and again and again and never quite have that satiation and hit that satiety um so what I found interesting why you had that at such a young age where you're like you know what like I know I'm trying to lose weight drop fat whatever it might be to make weight class I'm okay with the hunger Yes. And that's, that's huge. I mean, there's obviously a lot of like psychological factors that play into this and stuff like that, but hunger is one of those things that you have to learn to be okay with. And you have to understand, I, sometimes I like to put it like this for my clients, like, uh, you know, cause most people have been in a relationship before a serious relationship and they've had been heartbroken. Right. And when you're heartbroken, you think it's the end of the world, you know, and especially the first time it's ever happened. It's like you're the world's ending, you know, it's like this is terrible, I'm miserable, I can't eat, sleep, whatever. I'm just, you know, but you eventually get over it, right? Time kind of heals all wounds and whatever. And and once you get through it once, you know, if it happens again, you're like, This sucks, but if it's anything like last time, I'm gonna get better, you know, and once you it's like opening a door, it's that much easier to walk through it, right? And so so getting hungry, like, you know. You, under, you kind of understand what to expect. Like I know now, and, and, and most of my clients who've done it before, most people who've done this, when you start dieting, you're going to get hungry. Everybody has their own like little things that happen to them um, that are specific to them. Uh, but but ultimately, they know they're going to get hungry, and then, then it's going to come in like pangs and waves and things like that. And they know their strategies that they have to do to kind of get over that. And that's awesome. But, but it, it requires like – it's like experience, right? It helps you with that, right? The, the more you, you, you deal with that successfully, right? Then the, the more prepared you are to deal with that the second time and the third time. And it just becomes easier. And it's, it's, I had this conversation actually the other day. I was wondering, I was like, you know, I was asking a friend, do you think that it actually is physiologically easier? Like your body's like adapted to it and it, and it actually becomes like easier for us to fluctuate weight. 
as we want to and just do what we will at will? Or do you think that it's a, um, that we're just, we just know what to expect and we're more efficient and we know how to operate, right? Like, or is it 50 50 or is it something mixed? And, and it's a conversation that I don't think we, we'll have, like, you know, a, a super accurate answer for it. But I, I obviously, I think it's a little bit multifactorial, but, but it's interesting, you know, it's like, it, is, is this something that I think the experience plays a big role there, right? You know, mm-hmm. understanding that you, hunger's okay, you know, and that's, and it's going to come and here's how you, how you uh, satiate yourself in the meantime without kind of going over uh, and binging and all that sort of stuff, you know? Mm, yeah. So. I wanted to um, <clears throat> go into looking at it from an athletic perspective and training athletes or if people out there are already athletes and looking at specific movement patterns obviously we got our you know we got our hip uh, we got our hinges we got our squats we got lunges twist pull push whatever it might be but are there any specific movement patterns that you use with your athletes that are basically staples like here here's the 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 foundation the overall view of the movements that we need to get strong at so that we can make them a little bit more sport obviously it's gonna be very difficult to go into the sport specificity because it's so so many different sports but if we look at an overall view are there movements that you train mm-hmm. yeah and so and, and if you're looking real general like at all athletes pretty much right mm-hmm. i mean uh, almost every athlete i think you touched on them like when you said squat hinge uh like press pull vertical press, vertical pull, horizontal press, horizontal pull. If you can get all of that in into, like, I mean, that's very holistic. You're hitting pretty much every muscle group. You're, you're, they're, when you do them well, I mean, they're, most people have the general, anat- the, the, the anatomy to be able to, to even so, some people are tighter and have less range of motion and different, like, hip, you know, uh, like, congruency and patterns and things like that. And all that's, fine, but most people can do all of those lifts, right? With a, maybe a little coaching, a little stretching, things like that. But most people can get into all of that, and that's why I think all of those are amazing staples, right? Now, when you get into very specific sports, now it's different. It's like, okay, in powerlifting, we already squat and we hinge and we press, and we do that over and over and over again and over and over and over again and over and over. And it's like, well, like doing more of that won't get you out of or, or – you know, it's like digging yourself out of a hole if you're if you're having a problem, and we have to think of like, well, how do we how do we solve this problem? And um, and I like to think of that from a different perspective. I like to think of that as like, um, well, what's the cross training that's going to be required? Where where can I fill the void here? You know, um, and I think there's these I don't want to say diametric opposites, I, like two sides of the same coin, right? So you have like. Um, like in powerlifting, I think that like gymnastics is a really good um, sport where uh, where it'll fill a lot of like there's a lot of anterior chain stuff, there's a lot of core stuff, there's a lot of weight bearing through the shoulders, a lot of thing, a lot of pulling and lat work, and, and a lot of stuff that you don't typically get in powerlifting. And so if you can dabble in that or or, or substitute some of that, not substitute, but add that stuff in, I think that can result in a more efficient, well-rounded athlete. And that's just powerlifting, right? Now, if you think about running, running is like really high volume, but not in this like just a step after step after step. It's it's, it's mid range work. You're never really going into end range for your arms, your legs, anything. You know, so so what would be a good cross training for that? Well, something that's probably like lower in in volume, higher in intensity. So like any kind of bodybuilding type training, resistance training in general, you can kind of 
look at all aspects there, but but resistance training would be a really good idea. Um, if, if they were at the time to learn Olympic weightlifting, that'd be awesome. Cause that's like end range motions, right. That they're not getting into the otherwise they're loading all of those patterns. They're moving with power They're I mean, it's so, so that I think that if people want to be great, right, that's what separates them. And I think that learning those patterns specific to what they don't typically compete in, where, where's the void in their programming. If they fill that void, I think that goes along. Yeah, it's interesting. That I I really like how you said that. It's almost the uh, almost looking at the the neurological opposite of what you're already doing. So you're powerlifting, go to gymnastics, and I assume there's going to be some sort of neurological carryover. Of, okay, if you can perform this movement, say for example, a ring muscle up with relative efficiency, then you get to something as simple as you know, say a, a high bar back squat. Then that should be relatively simple, I guess. And there's going to be some sort of carryover, I'd assume, with certain movements with isometric holes in gymnastics, for example? Yeah, I think um, a simple example would be, you know, we're, we're constantly using our posterior chain in powerlifting, right? So let's say we're squatting. Well, we have to hold a relatively extended position at our thorax. Um, our lower back is constantly working to not fall into flexion, right? So that's like anti-flexion work, if you want to call it that. Um, our glutes are working, like, over time to make sure that we kind of control how much hip flexion we get into. And then we actually have to extend the hip when we come out of the hole. So the glutes, especially in powerlifting, since it's such a low bar position, we're using the hips so much more than we would the, I shouldn't say more than the quads, but, but more than we would in a high bar squat. So, so you see how like it's a very posterior chain work, but then it doesn't end there. Then we do deadlifts, right? We do bent over rows. We do a whole, all this work, even like these standing overhead presses, even the bench press is a leg exercise, you know, like you're driving with your legs and you're in this extended position in your arch. At what point do we use, like, uh, you know, do we do any kind of like anti-extension work, you know? Mm. And, and I think if you think about it, it's not like these muscles don't play a role. If I have like 500 pounds on my back, my spine, ideally, we want it to stay in neutral, right? We don't want it to really, I mean, maybe we'll bias a direction like extension, maybe flexion, whoever's comfortable for us, but we're not going into end range motion and, 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 and we're definitely not moving under the load. That's like a recipe for, for injury. So we're trying to keep this area stable. Well, that stability, if we look at like the, the origin and insertion, a lot of the tissues in that area, specifically the lumbar region, we have some that wrap around this way. We have some that come down angles, some that come down the opposite angle. We have the, the anterior core, or I should say the, uh, the rectus abdominis, which goes straight up and down, right? So we have all of these muscles there that are playing a role at, at keeping that spine where it's supposed to be. But our training over embellishes the work of the posterior chain, right? So like the, the erectors, the quadratus lumborum, and like the thoracolumbar fascia and our lats and things like that. So we're constantly hitting that. And so we create this like where there's a need all around, but we're biasing one area, Right. It's like, uh, and then, so if we just start conditioning those other tissues, right, then, then we can start to, they can catch up. It's like, it's like strengthening the weak link in a chain. And then now eventually there'll be another weak link, but it'll be somewhere else. And then the chain gets that much stronger and so on. Right. And that's what, uh, I think even just doing like, even if it was like a, for instance, a plank is a good example of anti extension work, right? You're abdominals are keeping your spine from extending that's a good place to start well gymnastics is great because 
it doesn't just do the plank, but it also is very similar to um, to powerlifting in the sense that you're going to get yourself into these high demand positions, right? So a plank is like an endurance activity. It's like you're using a fraction of your body weight that gravity's trying to pull and your abs are just trying to sustain that for a certain period of time. It's good to learn, right? But it's not going to be enough for an anterior chain work for a power lifter because we need to be able to withstand hundreds of pounds on our back while we're moving, right? And it's only going to last, like, how long does a rep last? Even if it's an absolute grinder, what is it, like, three seconds, mm. four seconds, right? We're not doing a full minute long or 30 second long, you know, session or repetition. So my so my thought is, well, in, in gymnastics, you have, like, something like an L-sit um, or even, like, a pull-up or, or even some of these vaults and plyometric things that they do or... Or like there's all, all these crazy stuff that that you can get yourself into, even if it's just like a hollow body position, moving your legs out and back in under some sort of load. Um, this is where you can get this higher intensity work in that mimics a little bit more of the intensity that we're going to have or experience under the bar, but it's going to bias the muscles in the front, right, versus the ones in the back. That's just one example mm. of why I think that's a good uh, counterpart, right, to to training for powerlifting, conventional powerlifting training. If we are looking at um, athletes in a in a sport such as let's go uh, football, so American football, um, what does a specific off season program look like for you when you're talking to to athletes? Because obviously, I mean, with that we want to we want to prime performance, but also decrease the risk of injury that may have been picked up the the season prior. What does that sort of look like in a general context? season is where all the growth happens right and so we have to once we realize that and i think i think the first step is getting the, the athlete to understand that because sometimes the athletes don't really realize especially at a younger age they don't really understand that that this is where this is what matters their performance is going to be determined by their off-season training right because when you're performing like during the season you actually have games you're not going to be exerting yourself as much it's going to be a lot more skilled kind of like learning the plays and figure things out and adjust the defense or whatever the case is but it's going to be different it's not going to be that here's the stimulus let the body adapt to it right that's off season in a nutshell what it looks like depends very highly on where that athlete is in their in their sport so like are they a high school athlete are they a college collegiate athlete whatever so their level of experience plays a big role there um, and what they need per their position plays a big role. And that's the amazing thing about football is that you have like, you know, you have all these different positions that require different physical prowesses and, and, and different types of athleticism. And then even in that position, like a quarterback, you can be a scrambling quarterback, a pocket passer. You can be a little bit of a hybrid. You can be one of these tanks that seems to like, you know, that, that does a lot of like, you know, um, like wildcat type stuff. I mean, there's all this cool stuff that you can do. And, uh, and so that is going to dictate where you want to, what you want to focus on. And then lastly, if you have the benefit of looking in the past, and this is where, this is what I think is super important. I think this gets missed a lot in programming. I think we have to look at what has already happened, right? And take that information and let that dictate what we're going to do in the, like now. Like there's no perfect program but i do think that you can get close to it if you have a lot of if you have the 
the ability to look into the past and say, this has worked for you, this hasn't, or here's where, like, if you're looking at film and you're like, wow, you know, you're a really great route runner, but you are just, like, you, you don't have any acceleration after the catch or something, right? Or off the line, or, or like, you're getting, when you get jams, like, you can't get, you can't get through that. Like, when you get pressed, there's a problem. Like, you need to be physically stronger, more physical, or you need to be faster. And once you figure that out, that's where you can kind of say, all right, if you need to be physically stronger, we can put muscle mass on. That's awesome. If you need to be faster, well, you know, we can train you to be faster. But honestly, if you lose weight, you're moving less mass, right? And you can be faster. It's, it's like, it's like, how do you get better at a pull-up? Well, if you lose 10 pounds, it's going to be a lot easier, right? You don't have to actually get stronger. So, so like, there's a lot of things that you can leverage here. And, and, but you have to know what your goal is, right? And it's going to be very specific per the athlete and depending on all those variables, their experience, uh, their, their, their position, um, what they specifically want and need. Um, and, and then that's the part of the strength coach is that you have to not only like, you know, come up with their programming for that, but, but you have to sometimes tell them what they need because they don't know, you know, <laughs> so you have to like, you may have to be there depending on what level you're at. You may have to be there and say like, look, here's your problem. Here's how we fix it. Um, and, and, and talking about like, you know, injury, uh, reducing the risk for injury and stuff like that. Um, that's, that's kind of another topic I'll touch on in a little bit. I, I think that you, when you have, if you want to reduce the risk for injury, you have to look and see what demands are going to be in the sport and how well they incur like those types of movements, especially under high loads and things like that. So like, for instance, if, if somebody can't touch their toes and they're going to be in a position where there, there may be like people tackling them and they're going to get like, you know, you want them to be flexible enough mm-hmm. to like get contorted with all of this pressure and stuff like that, that that's going to be, they need to have that flexibility under loads and things like that. So, so that plays a role. So, so knowing uh, where they stand as far as a flexibility standpoint, that goes a long way. And then, and then, but I do think that injury prevention, the bit like a big role, I should say, um, throw a word this, a big that uh, uh, injury prevention, I guess, is is a lot of during the season, like uh, uh, training, right? That's that I think we can talk a lot about that less in the off season, but more in the like you can prevent more injuries during the season, I think, than off-season if that makes sense off-season is for growth and adapting to that growth and hitting it hard doing all this stuff and yeah you want to avoid like stupid injuries like i load you know i loaded way too much on the bar or i have an overuse injury now and things like that but but you know like thinking about like uh an acl tear or something like that that's not going to happen in the off-season it's not you have a much smaller risk for that happening Mm. you're not really out in the field in those situations does that make sense Mm. so so I think, like you know, from injury injury prevention perspective, there's a lot of cool techniques um, and and things that you can apply in the during the season to help with that. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, the the injury prevention aspect is going to depend on on the season. You may be, you know, one season be suffering with a lot of sort of knee. ACL sort of niggles and stuff like that but the next season you may be absolutely fine it might be more of the left shoulder that's giving you a little bit of shit so it might be okay cool well the rest of this season or at the moment we need to focus on the injury prevention on that because it's pointless focusing on the ACL because there's nothing wrong with it this season right and and I think you know sometimes you can look at somebody and be like okay this person has a like you could do a movement screen on someone and say this person has a propensity to (laughs) 
have a valgus collapse where their knee comes in whenever they land. We have to work on that, and we'll work on that in the off season, right? And, and that'll be something. So you can sometimes things are very visible, and you can see them really well. Again, it's dependent on the person because some people may not have that problem. They may have a completely different problem, but it's going to be very individualized. But um, if we think about, like, uh, I'll give you an example. Like in basketball, for instance, right? If you're you're constantly jumping and landing and jumping and landing and trying to grab rebounds and whatever. And sometimes people are coming down on you as you're grabbing a rebound. There's a lot of high forces and pressures and things like that. Um, but we're not getting a lot of uh, training during the season, right? Because you don't want to exhaust yourself the week of a game, right? You want to be ready to perform, you know? So so how do we how do we accommodate that? How do we sit there and say, okay, we need to be ready for these high forces, but we can't put high forces into our body like that, or else it's going to be more of the same stuff. So one of the ways that we can go about that is getting, we can get a force that's relatively high, but easier to accommodate. Um, I'll give you an example, um, like the bench press, for instance. It's, I might be able to, I might not be able to bench 400 pounds, but I could probably lower 400 pounds slowly to my chest, right? Now, I'm still getting that stimulus into my chest. That's an eccentric kind of portion of the repetition. So if I can get a high force, like if I can put um, like weight on somebody's back and have them drop down, right, and then come and, and like do this eccentric type work, or even if it is uh, lesser intensity, but just focus on that eccentric then we get this thing called a repeated bout effect. It's basically like um, the eccentrics basically create some mechanotransduction or, or basically it's a, a, a mechanical stimulus to these muscles and it makes them ready to handle that type of force again or, or a, a force like that the, the very as soon as they recover from that. So, so you can actually put an intensity on there that they otherwise can't handle or that they couldn't do however many times. And then you put they, they're ready for that. So now like a couple of days later, three days later, a week later, whatever they go into their, their game, right. And they're, they're playing and they land on it with this amount of force going through their knee or their leg or whatever. And their muscle is, is ready for that. They can handle that and they don't get nearly as sore anymore either, which is really cool. So like if you have that repeated bout effect, if you did that same exact stimulus the next day, the soreness would be, you know, much, much less. And I think that's the, the, the idea there is that it's like, you can see how by doing that, you can accelerate even their recovery or their, their how much work that they can actually accommodate or, or how much they can do, which is awesome. It's very valuable for people who have multiple games in a week and things like that. So, so these are just strategies that you can do without putting them through like a full blown workout. Right. And, and potentially, injuring them during the workout or getting them to the point where they can't actually play or, or play at their peak performance because you just blew it out the water a few days earlier, you know? Mm. So obviously when we're looking at eccentric loading, very much neurologically demanding stimulus relative to doing an eccentric and a concentric form of training. So if you wanted to, for example, increase that intensity, use a form of eccentric loading and decrease, I guess, the amount of total volume to optimize recovery, is which one takes longer is what I'm trying to get at the a high amount of uh, neurological, a high degree of neurological stimulus or a high degree of sort of volume, which is going to be a combination of neurological and, I guess, muscular cellular stimulus, which would take longer to recover? That's a good question. So um, I, and, it, and I do think this is dependent on how much muscle mass you have yeah. to recover from and how much there was. 
Um, so if you're completely blowing it at the water, I do think it'll probably take longer for the the tissue to recover. But mm. but ultimately, you're still getting a neurological demand with even the like the low intensity, high volume, like let's just say bodybuilding type training versus the one rep max stuff. Like you're still gonna get the neurological stimulus there. So like there's still neurological uh, at a, like demand to overcome in both scenarios. Mm. So it's hard to really separate them. Mm. The, the way to, I guess, manage that is in the scenario that I gave earlier, like in the basketball or football season or whatever, is to stay way far from failure. Mm. And, and so if you're not going close to failure, you're just trying to get them, get that stimulus into their body and so now that muscle was like, okay, we've handled this. You don't have to do it repetitively to like can't walk, right? You don't need to be commando crawling out of the gym. That's that. I like to say to my clients, you're not you're not chasing a feeling, you're chasing a result, right? This is what we're looking for. So so a lot of times you're just trying to expose them to it. So then their body's like, okay, this is something that we're going to be exposed to. We're going to we have to expect this. And so we're going to be ready for this. So we're going to literally adapt to accommodate that stimulus. And then when they incur that stimulus during the game, they don't get hurt. And that's kind of the idea. So it may be very neurologically demanding and not very tissue demanding just because it is like if you went, you know, high intensity, eccentric, like textbook work, right? Um, But you can mitigate how much overall, I guess, neurological demand it is by taking away how much volume they have, right? And also thinking about um, like how, how far from failure they are and things like that, but also like you don't need a lot of it to do that, right? Just a, a few reps here, a few reps there, decent rest breaks. And, and you're also thinking about, you know, you got to remember this is during a period, like if, if, it's, if they're playing like a game every week, they're probably not doing much other weight training than that, right? Mm. And so, like, it's just that by itself. So recovery from that, like, neurological stimulus shouldn't take too long. And when it does, it's not met with the demands of all this other recovery as well that they have to overcome. Mm. Usually that kind of recovery, if you're doing all the other things right, it, it, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. If we're looking at longevity, longevity of joints, of healthy tissue, things of that nature, are there any specific exercises that you think everyone should be doing in some way, shape, or form? I mean, it, it might not necessarily be a deadlift, but some sort of hip hinge could be a Romanian deadlift, single leg um, RDL, something oh, yeah. of that nature. Well, those things you just said, an RDL uh, um, or, or a deadlift, stiff leg deadlift, or like whether you're starting from the top or, or, or the ground, those are huge, and I, I, I do think that if you could ask any of my clients. I program that a lot. There's probably every single mesocycle, no matter what we're doing, I don't want to say every one, but let's just say 90% plus, they're doing some level of loaded hip hinging, and whether it's whether it's volume-related or, or more intensity and stuff like that, but that plays a big role. Like getting – because because it's it's – Loading a lot of different muscles, right? It's very holistic in the sense it's getting the entire posterior chains, working on the grip. It's actually, I honestly, when people have like neck pain and stuff like that, I do this with with people dealing with upper neck and shoulder pain because it trains a lot of those muscles too. Um, but it also it also works the lats, right? Because when you hinge, especially in a stiff leg deadlift or a Romanian deadlift, your shoulders sometimes come out in front of your the bar, mm. and if gravity had its way, the bar would come out in front of you, which would put a big demand on your back. So now you have to depress the shoulders, bring the lats back to pull the bar, keep that bar over your midfoot the whole time. Mm. And that 
creates like a lot of like shoulder depression work and stuff. It's very healthy if you do it well for the shoulder and neck as well. So I love, I love, love, love that. And, and, and it also adds like, it helps the flexibility component of things too, because you're going to end range hip flexion and you're stretching the hamstrings, which a lot of people have a problem. I'm like, you may see a lot of athletes just like say, you know, Hey, reach and touch your toes. And they're like, uh, yeah, I haven't done that in forever. And it's, and it's like, well, it might be being a little off topic, but I've had athletes do that, like where they can't touch their toes. And then after like a few months of just like, like strict Romanian deadlifts and things like that, they can just reach down and touch their toes at will. It's not like a very, it's not very often that it's just this anatomical anomaly where they just can't do that. It's usually just because, you know, they, they haven't learned that pattern yet. So, so that pattern specifically is very important. Um, and the shoulder with regards to the shoulder, pressing overhead is huge, right? It, and I think, I think that this is one of those things that, you know, have you ever, have you heard maybe a healthcare provider or maybe another trainer or, or somebody just say, Hey, you need to get your shoulders kind of down and back, right? And like mm. put their shoulders down, down and back, down and back. And like, when you're sitting at a computer, that's all well and good. Shoulders got to be down and back, whatever. That's fine. I mean, I, I really honestly don't think they need to be in any other position than neutral. But but if you really are hunched over and things like that, yeah, get stop that. Get them back. Get, get, get fucking upright, you know? But but what, I, what I, I can't stand is when people tell people to do that and then – but they say that they, they need to be there all the time. Because if you think about it, the scapula – is going to rope when you put this shoulder blades are supposed to sit on your back at like a little bit of an angle. We call it like upward rotation. And when you do that down and back, they kind of downwardly rotate and retract. And you'll feel like if you do that, like the area between your shoulder blades really like working and that depresses and pulls your shoulder blades down. Well, the opposite is very, very important. Getting this guy to rotate up is huge. It's like, it, it's it's one of the biggest things that I see. If you have like shoulder impingement, uh, rotator cuff tears, osteophytes, things like that, all sorts of shoulder issues. And and the number one thing that you see is like they is that they can't get their arm overhead. Overhead's the tough part. And then you still see therapists sitting there saying like, okay, hey, we're gonna treat your we're gonna treat your shoulder. So we're gonna do all of this horizontal work. We're gonna do all of this rotator cuff training. And they just tell them to avoid going overhead for like three months. And then when they're done with therapy, of course they feel better because they're not doing what hurts, right? Like they're just avoided all the things. And then they're just like, all right, you're good to go. And they write them off. And then they're sitting there like scared to, to do anything else, right? It's like it's like perpetuates a movement problem. I can't stand that shit. So, so what I try and tell people to do, almost everybody, like is to learn to allow your shoulder to go up overhead. Right now, you can see, I'm trying to look at my video. Yeah. You can see my shoulders are, you know, neutral. Like, I guess if you look at my clavicle, it's a good place to look at because you have my AC joint here, my SC joint here, right? Now, if I raise my right arm overhead, but I keep my shoulder down and back, that actually hurts, right? Mm. Like, this hurts right now. It, it's pinchy. doesn't feel good. You can see how much garbage range of motion I have. But now if my clavicle actually elevates, right, and I allow my scapula to, to elevate as well, all of a sudden, I get my bicep next to my ear. And I'm not the poster child for flexibility either, right? Mm. I can get my arm up there because I'm allowing my shoulder blades to move. Mm. That's a huge, huge component of things. And that upward rotation is like, it's, it's a little bit of elevation. It's a little bit of a posterior tilt. 
and it's a little bit of a, um, like a protraction. It's kind of like a combination. It, it's when we talk about the shoulder blade, it's like it's a little ridiculous because this thing just floats around essentially. There's only one bony connection to the rest of your body, and that's your AC. And so all these muscles attach to it, and it kind of it's a pseudo joint, so it does its own thing. So it'll like tilt anteriorly, posteriorly. It'll wing. It can uh, depress and upwardly rotate, downwardly rotate, abduct, adduct, retract, protract. It's combinations of all these motions. So it's kind of tough to talk about with just using my hands. But ultimately, like, if you can just teach somebody to get their arm overhead and teach it the right way and not perpetuate this giant freaking movement problem where people don't do that, then I think that that can go a really long way as, as for avoiding injuries um, in sports and athletics, but also, like, desk workers like people who don't do that like people who just sit here all day like get your arm overhead allow yourself to to expose like we talked about cross training just now like what do you do all the time let's fill that void let's start getting your arms overhead start working the other muscles that get like a little like more uh you know that just sit in this like um retracted kind of position that don't really do too much for you let's start training them a little bit you know and see how your body responds to it no most more times than not you know, people respond to it really well. They enjoy it. They're like, it's challenging. I get people to do these wall slides where they just slide their arm up the wall. And like, you know, they, they do like five or six of them and their arms just like fatigued and tired. They're like, wow, it's like such a humbling exercise for somebody because all they're doing is raising their arm overhead. And they, you know, and they, they can't even get to 10 reps. So anyway, that was my tangent. But but um, so the hinge, to answer your question, is a huge one, a loaded hinge, right? Um, in one way or another, and then the overhead press or just lifting overhead to some capacity, right? That's going to be huge. You know, I think that plays a big role. Yeah, and I guess um, as you as you said there, yeah. like people people don't generally go unless you're a construction worker for for a ninety nine percent of the population. We never get into this overhead position, so it's of course you're going to be weaker. But it also has this nice correlation, this vertical press to a horizontal press. So if you want to get strong in this vertical press, like your bench, and you feel like you're plateauing a little bit, spend a couple of phases getting strong overhead, and you'll notice a massive, massive change in your vertical press, uh, your horizontal press. Sorry. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So one has a big correlation to the other. I mean, and and I think that goes a long way with. Um, I mean, if you think about your clavicle, your chest. Your, your pec major, right, is one of the biggest contributors to the bench press, right? I mean, that's 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 the muscle that we're using, the most of the, the, the agonist muscle on the bench press, one of them, is the pec, right? Well, the pec attaches to the clavicle, right? It has a lot of clavicular fibers and has a lot of sternal fibers. So if we're, when we, this clavicle is going to elevate and it's going to rotate, and, and if we, especially if we're extended a little bit of our, our spine, we're going to be using our pec those upper fibers to press overhead so so we're still hitting the chest to some degree we're also obviously getting more tricep work too right and we're allowing the scapula to move freely so i think we're doing a lot of things in another way another manner um that also that are very we're training a lot of variables that are very important to the bench press right and we're doing it in a way that um that can mitigate any kind of overuse injury by just benching more, right? But also exposing ourselves to other dimensions, other positions, and, and it's healthy for us. I think there's a there's a huge aspect to that. You know, if you can't get your arm overhead, right? It just the fact that you start exposing yourself to something that you otherwise don't do or can't do goes a long way to your just the health of your shoulder or health of your joints in general. Because that's true for, for any joint, right? So 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and then the third one, I think, would be some sort of anti-extension work. If you look at the lumbar spine, we talked about this earlier, like how um, that area is typically the weak link in the chain for a lot of people. And it makes sense. Like if you if you look at um, if you look at the anatomy, right? Like let's look at the inert tissue. So we have the just the bones and ligaments, right? These are the, the inert tissue, the non-contractile forces, right? The thorax is a series of vertebrae that sits on top of each other, right? They have the facet joints on each side, and you have the intervertebral joints with the discs, standard vertebrae stuff. But you also have this spinous process and the transverse process that sticks out. And you have a rib that comes across, one that attaches to the, that has a joint on the transverse process, another one on the, the body of the vertebrae. So that's two extra joints on each side that you have, plus this structure that wraps around your body like a cylinder and has a lot of like cartilaginous and, and more uh, ligamentous and sometimes bony attachments in the front. So you have this like very rigid yet also flexible structure, right, that's there. So if I load a cylinder, it's going to be like, have you ever done that, that experiment in like middle school where you just take like pieces of paper and you just roll them up in a cylinder and you just put like one of them there and you put textbooks on top and it mm. takes like 50 textbooks to crush it. Mm. It's like, it's just paper, right? But it's a cylinder. It goes a long way, right? And then if you look below the lumbar spine, we have the pelvis, which is uh, fused three, three bones that are fused together. They meet in the front of the pubic synthesis, which has uh, some... Um, like the, the adductors attached to it and, and the abdominals attached to it. And there's a lot of like ligamentous attachments there. The backside, you have the SI joint, which doesn't move at all, like maybe one or two degrees on its own. And on top of that, the strongest ligaments in the body are right there. Um, and also you have the, the hip, which has this, the, the, the um, uh, ligament of Bigelow the, or the, the Y ligament, I should say, is it right in front of the hip. That's the strongest ligament in the body. And then you have the largest muscle right there too, the glutes, the largest muscle. So like you have all of this stability and strength in this region and all the stability and strength above. And you look at what's in between and we have this lumbar spine, which is just five vertebrae that are already kind of contorted, right? They're, or they're bent with the lordosis, right? It's not just stacked pretty on top of each other. And you have those facet joints. So like, where's the stability there? And the answer is it's all the contractile tissue, right? We have this, the, these, this, transverse abdominis that wraps around like a corset we have the internal and external obliques that kind of wrap around at this x we have the anterior core or the uh, i should say the uh, rectus abdominis that comes up and down the side you have this thoracolumbar fascia that comes down the back side right you have the um the the ql and and the paraspinals and stuff that kind of wrap up and down the back so you have like this this area here that's really important for stability and so when you talk about like just trying to to avoid injury well what's the, the the what i see the most is back pain in any sport anywhere right it's back pain back pain back pain right so that's like the number one thing uh it's the, the number one orthopedic issue in the world it's a billion dollar industry it's a pandemic it's a problem right but you know so so if we can say like how do we avoid this like from a very vague just general like what's the best way to avoid this well how about we improve the contractile tissue in that area and so doing like a paloff press or like um or like a plank or a v-sit or knee ups or something like that something to challenge those muscles and condition them anything any kind of anti i guess extension work would be a good place to start anti-rotation work so those those are big um and i, I like to think of it like isometrically so you're avoiding motion um but because that's a, the best place to start 
end to end if you're a power lifter. But but if you're um, like a like golfer or a baseball player or football player or whatever, you need to now not just be strong and neutral, but you also need to be able to have the core transmit forces from your arm to your leg or vice versa. And so so doing some exercise there will help. But but as far as like a movement pattern that's good for it, some sort of stability, anti-motion work at the lumbar spine to answer your question. <laughs> a long-winded way of no, answering it. Yes. That's perfect. So I guess like the big theory, we've got a hip hinge loader, which could be an RDL, single leg RDL, something of that sort of nature, even a deadlift. Shoulder, we want to improve the longevity of the shoulder joint. Um, working overhead, getting into those overhead positions, not allowing that scapula to be constantly retracted and depressed. Obviously, at certain movements, it's important, so the squat, etc. But it, not always, you know. I think we have a tendency to find something and abuse the shit out of it as human beings. Uh, <laughs> and then also the anti-extension, throughout, specifically throughout that lumbar spine, anti-rotation stuff, spots with it, pal-off press, planks, you know, knee raises yeah. things of the hanging leg raises things of that nature you could think of like you know even the overhead press you mentioned because like it, it's very good for the shoulder the scapula but it's also all these indirect benefits that you get too like if you're if you don't typically press overhead and you're just uh, I, I i like let's say, say you're a runner you know and you you're just like dabble in fitness you go out there you run every now and then maybe you do a tough mutter or something like that well like you know you don't overhead press Think about how overhead pressing, how what the ribs have to do. Because your thorax has to extend to a degree, right? The scapula has to tilt back. The ribs literally will open and flail like that. And, and, and enables the lungs to open and get a, a better lung capacity, right? And so it literally improves the, the, the pulmonary, I guess, uh, workings, right? It allows you to, to breathe better, right? And, and, and so if you think about like as a runner who, who needs that kind of pulmonary capacity, that's huge, right? To, to have the, to be able to come out of this position and be here and to be able to open that up, that goes a really long way. And so I, I, people don't realize that it's not just musculoskeletal, it's also cardiopulmonary. It's also, you know, your blood pressure and all this other stuff that goes and plays a big role. All of these body systems are interconnected. So, you know, and that's, you know, so whatever you do, like, don't try to think of it like extensively. It's very holistic. Do the, like, that's why the cross training plays a huge role, right? It's not just the health of the shoulder. It's the health of the upper back. It's the health of your neck. It's the neurodynamics of your brachial plexus. It's the pulmonary dynamics for your lungs. And, and it's all that stuff, you know? And even like, if you do it standing, you're using, you're doing core work and your leg work, your hips are working to keep you from collapsing. It's a full body exercise, you know? So it's awesome. Hmm. I um I wanted to touch a little bit on I guess the the routines and habits that you potentially use to optimize a day-to-day success so do you have any specific routines that you use things like a checklist or something like you have a morning routine a nighttime routine anything of that nature yeah well recently things have been thrown off because we just moved and then you know the whole coronavirus situation has kind of like changed everything and mm. i'm working some days i'm not working others and i'm working at different times I'm sleeping in i'm all over the place mm. but and, and you know what would be like the routine is is so it kind of grounds you and i think that that the routine that i have has helped me through this to a degree like um i do wake up in the morning and you know i, I make my coffee and i try and have some moments of mindfulness right i don't necessarily meditate um but i do try to to spend some time by myself right and just trying to think about really it's me planning for the day what's ahead of me and and 
with my business because I do so many different things. I, I it might be teaching, it might be seeing a new patient, it might be um, you know doing a podcast or whatever. And so I have to think. I think about those things. I have to not just mentally prepare myself for that, but also, but but honestly, like be ready for uh, like to like because maybe I. Like for instance, this was on Zoom, and I was like, "Do I even have Zoom?" I'm like, "Cause I, cause I have a new computer. I didn't have, um, I don't have a webcam on this computer." So I was like, "Do I even have?" So I had to use my iPad. But if I didn't know that, the iPad would have still been at the clinic, and I would have been all messed up, right? <laughs> so I had to this morning, just waking up and being like, oh, "Shit, I'm gonna use Zoom." All right, so you know that could have been a catastrophe, but the the but it actually helps having or you know whatever I would have done it on my phone. But you get the idea. That mindfulness goes a long way. It helps prepare me. Um, checklist. I love writing shit down. So mm. got a checklist. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I literally, as you can see me crossing things off as I go through it. Um, and so I like, I think there's a psychological aspect. You cross something off, makes you feel good, makes you feel productive. If I don't do that, like there's days where I'm like mad at myself or I feel disappointed almost. And I don't know if it's healthy really, but ultimately I do feel like I didn't get anything done. I wasn't productive. Mm. I squandered my time, which is fairly a very finite resource that we have. And so I get, you know, a little upset when that happens. And I try to, so, so I think that there's a, um, there's definitely like something to creating a list and getting it done. Even if it's not fully done, just having things checked off. Mm. It's like psychologically, it's like weight off my shoulders every time I do that. So that's huge um, for me. Um, and, and then routine, like, you know, we're being in a new house now, like now I have to care for a lawn and I have to do all this other stuff. And so, so we're, yeah. so we're trying to like sit there, we're sitting there saying like, okay, like on the weekends, I'm going to, you know, every weekend I'll mow the grass and I'll do this stuff. And I'll, I try So trying to establish routine from a weekly basis as well. Um, I even was the thing I, I, I've been, um, batching a lot of things lately emails i don't check my emails until like uh like so it'll be a certain time of day and it'll be like twice a week sometimes you know and if people need to get in touch with me if they text me and i work with that like right off the bat right but emails i just do twice a day and it's very specific time of day and then there's um and then like checking my mail my actual physical mail once a week whatever if that sometimes i'll miss it and it'll be once every two weeks i don't care what is it gonna be a bill that i probably have on auto pay anyway like it's not it's like maybe it's a birthday card. i don't know like who, it doesn't matter like nothing that comes in the physical mail is important that needs to be checked every day like and so so that helps me a lot because now i'm not like constantly with things like just coming in that i have to to fix um yeah, we do that all the time, like laundry. How often do you do laundry? You don't like you're not going to take that clo- those clothes off, put it in the laundry bin every single day. You know you're going to do it like once a week or something like that. So it makes sense to do things like that. So so those are the types of things that I like to think about: efficiency, right? The feel good psychological aspect to check things off, um, and the preparation, not in that order. You know. No, I love that. I love that. I think that's a, a, a very common theme of. Everyone's all got their own little unique nuances, but it's that thought process of, okay, what do I need to do to feel accomplished today? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is a huge aspect. I mean, there's – so I just got a new computer, and with the computer, I, I have the ability to now actually play video games again. And yes. Back in the day, I used to be a big gamer. Yeah. yeah. I used to be a big gamer, like, and I haven't touched a video game in forever. And, you know, because I've been on this – 
this path of being the best physical therapist ever and trying to run my business and trying to learn. And it's been a huge like self-development kind of decade for me, right? But consequently, there's been no time for video games and stuff like that. And also, I my the last console that I had was a PS3. I, I waited outside of a circuit city for that thing just to tell you, you know, how long ago that was. From like the original PS3, like I still have that thing somewhere. <laughs> So I haven't played. So anyway, long story short, I, I played. Like, I got a computer now. I put a video game on, and I've been playing The Witcher, which is an amazing game. Mm. And it, there's so much that you can do. I don't know if you're familiar, but I, I am, yeah. Like, I played that game till my eyes bled the other day, and I was like <laughs> so mad that I just like I felt like I squandered the day. I had to talk to my wife. She was. She told me she's like, she's like, you need to give yourself some time. You need to enjoy that time. You know that you have. Yeah. Like you would. You clearly enjoyed playing the game you should there's that's there's that says something right like you know take some time for yourself to enjoy yourself right Mm. in another way right you know i I understand that i enjoy working my business and teaching and all this stuff but but there's some there's got to be like and and that's where i why i I mentioned earlier i was like i think it might be unhealthy for me to feel that way like i have to do something kind of Mm. thing there's got to be some you know moderation there like you know i should be able to do some of these things and not feel like i'm just pissing the day away but <laughs> you said so. I saw you do this. Are you yeah. a gamer too? No. Well, the thing you you your story is very similar to mine. So as a kid growing up, uh, I was playing. I played a lot of sport and things like that. But I loved gaming. Uh, obviously, I mean, originally from the UK. So weather was bad a fair bit. So if it was really bad, like we we you know game and gamed a hell of a lot. And my my last console was a was a PS3. And I I remember the day I got it was because in the UK it hadn't launched yet. But my my dad was coming. Uh, back from overseas and he was in Dubai airport and Dubai already had the PS3 so he got me there and brought it back and I literally had it six or more months than everybody else so all my friends would come around wanting to play the PS3 because they couldn't get it in the UK but um that that was literally the last so your story is very similar to mine and there's so many times I said I said to my girlfriend I was like if you ever want our relationship to end buy me a PlayStation because I will never talk to you again so from that moment she never got me one but recently recently I'm like you know, we talk, I talk a lot to to my to myself. I talk a lot to myself, but clients and and, and people. And we talk about creating a life of fulfillment. And so many times I look at it, I'm like, you know what? Playing that game for a few hours here and there would bring me just this insane amount of joy and happiness. And I actually put an Instagram post up uh, probably two days ago now, and it was talking about routines and, and looking at you know what have I got to do today. And I was like looking at it, and in no way, shape, or form was there any element of fun. It was doing this work, seeing this client, writing this program, all this other sort of shit. But I was like, there's no, there's no fun in there. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? You're, you're right. And I think I, it, you're, it's so familiar to me because it's the same thing. If you look at this stupid checklist right now, it's all like, you know, mop the garage, organize the, the thing, put that light machine together, write this person's program. I got like, there was no, there's nothing on there that's like, hey, you know, like have some fun, play some video games, like, you know, go get something, whatever. Like it, it's all, and then even like your, your, especially when you're dieting, all of that's like this, yeah. like, very strict monotonous routine too so there's no fun in food anymore sometimes and mm. like and then you can't go out to eat right and so now you're not leaving like leave. then you it's it very quickly turns into this like this super gray scale life you know and you're, mm. <laughs> you... so it is psychologically there's something behind that man we have to start like just putting some time in um with something that brings like joy 
I like the word joy because it's different. Like, obviously, I have fun doing this. Like, I'm having fun right now. Yeah. There's, but the, the, there's some level of joy that you get from just, like, blowing things up on the computer, you know, or, like, yeah. on PS3 or something. Like, it just takes you to a different realm, you know, and you can kind of – there's something about that, you know? Yeah. I think um, I think joy – Yeah, it needs to be almost like a very selfish pursuit of – of what do you need for yourself? It doesn't matter what anyone else wants at this moment in time. So what do you need for yourself, your own mental stability, health, whatever sort of word you want to use. So, um, I mean, the PS5 comes out in December this year. So maybe, maybe I'll get back onto it when that happens. Hey, see if you can get your dad to come over from another area. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, hey. <laughs> well, I'm meant to be taking a trip over overseas in December, so I might figure out, okay, where can I do a layover to get the PS5 before anybody else? So with uh, now, and I just realized this, um, since I just got this computer, the PC gaming and like if you have an Xbox or a PlayStation or a PC, you can play people on each other's. So like if you're wow. on PS4 and I'm on the PC, we can play each other the same game on the same, like we can I play no idea. each other or like it, it, uh, Destiny or whatever the game is, it doesn't matter. And and uh, and so it's like I forgot what they call that. It's not cross compatible. It's like platform, cross platform, whatever the hell the name is. Yeah. But either way, so the, so when you think about that, if it, it makes it better, or I guess if you have a computer that has a graphics card, then it's almost like more not only just cost efficient, but but also it's easier because you just download the games, right? So like if I want a game, I don't have to go out and buy one. I mean, I guess you could do that with PS3 now or four or five now too, but. But I can download a game, and I have a VPN, so I can use my VPN to say that I'm in Dubai if I needed to, and download a game that comes out, and it will think that I'm in Dubai downloading that game, right? So I could do things like that, which is pretty cool. You can't really, I don't know if you could do that on a PS5, probably, but 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 the computer like you know doubles as like all my work stuff and everything. So I I love if you haven't gotten into PC gaming and dude, just. I got the little wire here, and I just put my PlayStation controller, my PS2 controller of all things, fits into this thing, and I just play uh, like, wow. like it's a controller. Yeah, so I'm not like you know sitting there gaming with a keyboard. Mm. It's it's just like having a PS4, man. It's awesome. Well, I'm gonna have to look at that. We could nerd out for a while over games. I, I like as much as I've never, I haven't literally, I haven't had a PlayStation 3 in since I've been in Australia. So probably for about 10 or 11 years, something of that nature, since I have played one. But I still love it. Like, I still could just talk to death about it, but I've never played one. I know, right? It's, it's, it's such, like, it's something that I think we, you know, just like in business, like, you have, like, a lot of things that you like to do, but you have to pick one thing and run with it. That's what you're going to, like, specialize in or whatever. And, and it's easier to, like, exploit that one thing than to be a jack of all trades. Mm. Same thing with, uh, with life. We have these hobbies, and then, like we like health and fitness, we like gaming, we like whatever, and and uh, so we just pick one avenue and we run with it, and everything gets like put off to the wayside, and then like next thing you know, we're like a decade later, we're like, hey, I got some time on my hands, like oh, yeah. I want to play a PlayStation game. It's like, oh, I gotta buy a PS Five. Like, when did they make the four? Yeah. <laughs> happened the last like fifteen years of yeah. my life as a book. Like I can download games now. This is ridiculous controller doesn't have a wire i'm like i'm yeah. all messed up 
Yeah, I, I'm interested uh, to see what happens over the next sort of like five or ten years, whether VR makes a stand or like it's going to be it's going to be really interesting. It's such a cool space too because it is now, as you said there, like it is about especially most most games are played online, right? Like it's about there is a, a different element of of connection. There is a different element of communication, and I, in all honesty, like a lot of my um, problem solving skills have come from games. Like when you played a really hard game and just that tenacity and that discipline, you need to keep fighting that boss and keep losing and keep going back to try and be like, I need a better sword or I need to level up here or my other team members, you know, like, and you just keep going and going and going. That's had such a great correlation to my own life, as weird and sad as that sounds. I should do that. I took the GRE in like, you know, after uh, college and... And when I took the GRE, there was words on there, like in the language and whatever portion of the GRE that we were taking, that I got from StarCraft. I was playing StarCraft, <laughs> and, I, and I was like, I was like, I don't know what the fuck a Wraith is, but I do know that it's the guy on StarCraft that goes invisible. So I'm going to assume that this simile is comparing it to a ghost. And sure enough, I got it right. Like, things like that. Mm. Like, I, like, there's just words that you get exposed to that you can use context clues to figure out that you otherwise would have no fucking clue. Like, yeah. other languages. In The Witcher, there's a lot of, like, you know, like Nordic language stuff and like there's it's all sorts of cool stuff and you can just pick up on it and and it's I don't want to compare it to travel really but it's kind of like you become you you expose yourself to things that you yes. otherwise wouldn't mm. and uh, and it really broadens your horizons and I do really like what you said about problem solving because that is a million percent true especially you play games like you know like Tomb Raider or something you got to mm. figure out a puzzle and then you have some action component and then you have to like whatever, maybe there's dialogue in the game, you have to pick the right thing and make sure you're doing the right stuff, or maybe it literally is just nothing but a, like a defense game, and you're sitting there trying to make sure everything is, is set up in the right way so you can kind of accomplish the task. Oh, that's true, it's all problem solving. And that's that's what I, like, as a physical therapist, it's I'm just a, I'm a glorified problem solver. That's mm. what people come to me with a problem, and it's problem solving 101. It's like, okay, let's take a really detailed history and figure out what, have you done already that's worked well and hasn't worked? Because I'm not going to do the stuff that hasn't worked, right? Like, why do that? Why spin our wheels, right? So so immediately right there, I know, like, and that's problem solving one-on-one. Don't do the same stuff over and over again if you know it's not going to work, right? So, and, and so then you get into the next phase. You're like, okay, well, where's the deficits? What are the impairments that you have that, that deviate, where you deviate from normal, right? And, and then how do I categorize or prioritize the impairments? To, to say this one's probably most affecting your issue, right? Or maybe it's not most affecting, but I could be the most effective at treating it because if I try and treat the, the highest impairment, that would be too painful or something, right? So there's a lot of problem solving mm. in physical therapy and in being a strength coach, as you know, and like all this stuff. It's, it is, I mean, video games saved my life. But they- <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the underlying principle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't the video games. That's a- <laughs> is there a, I'm curious, is there a, um, a book or, or a movie or some, or even an article, something that you've read that's had a positive or profoundly positive impact on your life? Oh man, that is a, that's a loaded question. Um, mm. so as far as cheese on my life, probably. I'm trying to think of something that comes to like, there's a lot of things that come to mind. We just talked obviously about work. And, mm. and so there's so many things that I've read that's helped me with work. And there's a lot of things that I keep going back to. Mm. Like, so I like, I love principles. I deal in principles. I work and teach in principles. I think that that's kind of 
how you get the the um like if you're talking to a broad general large audience you can't say specifically what they need to do but you can give them a principle and have them apply it to their situation if they understand you and you teach it well then they are better off because of it and so so when people ask me questions, I may not know the answer to the question, but if I ask the right questions to them and I reflect the principle mm. that they can get where. So anyway, long story short, there's a, there's a, there's an article uh, by Brad Schoenfeld where he wrote about like the mechanisms for muscle hypertrophy, which go, it goes a really long way um, where we talk about, it, it's kind of like the underlying like physiological principles or reasons and 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 uh stimuli or reasons why we grow muscle or how to grow muscle and um and i base a lot of stuff off of that when i teach and so i really like that if you can uh i can ship send you the pdf yeah thank you yeah i'd love to check it out yeah brad schoenfeld mechanism you can probably just google it it'll come right up it's a great one and i reference that for like any of the the um the papers that i've written and, and and books and things like that it's awesome so um so that's a big one but, uh, and then, you know, Tim Ferriss has the four hour work week, which I love. Yeah. Uh, I think that's been, been great for me. I've been putting a lot of things into perspective. Um, and like, I've been thinking I'm a, I'm a saver. I'm one of those people that plays a video game and I'm like, I'm not going to use this potion cause I don't have to and yeah. I finish the game with 99 potions. Like I'm just like one of those people that's <laughs> like going to do it the hardest way just in case I'm going to need something for some scenario later mm-hmm. that I'm over prepared for and don't need anymore. So it's like. So I've been thinking about like, you know, uh, how, like what retirement looks like, what later in my life looks like, how I, what dynamic I want to have, what a life I want to live. And, and I think that put it into perspective, like, you know, I'm not going to be the person that's going to retire. <laughs> like I'm going to, and, and, and I don't know if you've read or listened to that book, but he talks about like many retirements and, and like doing what you like, finding what you're doing, what you love, working from home, creating more efficient lifestyle. And, and I've kind of modeled like we talked like batching, we talked about like the laundry, the mail, and stuff. That's something that his book touches on too. Um, so some great stuff in there. There's got to be so many other examples, man. I got like that's a really that's a loaded question. It's a good yeah. one, but I'd have to think too because there's probably so much other, so much other stuff that's just profoundly influenced me. Mm. I just I'm in the the physical. I'm in like physical therapy, strength coach world right now. My mindset. If I jump over to just like my everyday life, like what are some of the things that that I've read that's influenced me. I mean, geez, this is, this is a lot. <laughs> it's from way back. We talked about even just video games you know, mm. like, and how much that's influenced us. So. Yeah. So I got to get back to you on no, that. No, that's, that's cool. That's cool. Have you, um, have you checked out Principles by Ray Dalio? I, no, I haven't. I, 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 I know what you're talking about, but I haven't read or, or listened to it yet. And I'm not a big reader. Like I'll listen to these online. Yeah. Audio, the audio, I think the audible books makes me very, I'm pretty sure Ray Dalio is the one who actually speaks it, which makes it a lot more, a lot more personal. Right. But just from a principle based guy, that book from a business perspective, even a life perspective as well is, is very, very, uh, very good. Awesome. That is awesome. That is a good, good recommendation. Mm. I got to re up on my audible account. What I used to do, I used to have a really long commute and, um, and my my wife or girlfriend at the time lived really far away and then I worked really far away and there's this giant like triangular just nonsense mm. that I was going back and forth and and eventually I was like I don't and so during that time I would listen to all these podcasts mm. and my audio like that and um, but then I 
became more efficient. I like lit, I moved right next to where I worked specifically to make my life more efficient, yeah. saved myself a lot of time, became million percent more, more productive and stuff. Got a chance to apply a lot of the things that I learned in these things. Yeah. But uh, consequently, I don't have the commute anymore. So now I got to find that time. You know, I have to yeah. make the time again for, uh, for, for listening and, and imbibing more, um, more of that information. You know, like I, I had my phone was full the other day. I was like, why is my phone full? This is stupid. Like I, I, all my, my pictures go to the cloud. I was like, how does that happen? Like, you know, and it was because I kept downloading, like I was subscribed to all these podcasts mm. and when you don't listen to them, they just kind of like grow and grow. Yeah, so yeah. just like I had those audio files that were so large that just took over all of my, my, my entire space, 300 gigs of my phone or whatever it is. <laughs> and I was like, dude, I was like, that's ridiculous. If I was ever going on somebody's podcast app, I would have deleted those by now, but I wasn't. Mm. So it's just, crazy i gotta get back into that routine do it um if you a little tip on audible if you're still subscribed to their night newsletter or whatever you want to call it and you haven't used it for so long they'll send you an email after a while and just go enjoy a free episode on us so you'll better just down, go back into your audible account and just take a free episode and do nice. while you're mowing the lawn washing dishes things like menial tasks that's generally the only time i get to listen to books so that might be a an idea for you right a bad idea yeah. yeah just get put my headphones in or something and that's just it try and jam out when i when i'm losing weight or when i'm cutting and stuff like that i i go on walks and stuff like just like steady like low intensity steady yeah. state cardio and that's a really good time for me to like because mm. i i don't like being alone with myself like i <laughs> like the whole meditation thing i can't I, for some reason i have a, a i don't know an aversion to it so i, yeah. I you know aside from just five minutes in the morning where i'm thinking about my later in my day that's one thing but but it's always got to be planning or thinking about something else. And so if I'm walking and I don't have anything else to do, I like, freak out. So I have to like have headphones. I have to be thinking of like, like even in the shower, I'm thinking about like, what am I going to do next? Like what's tomorrow morning look like? What is whatever, you know what yeah. I mean? So, so it's a good idea to like throw some headphones in and, and mm. whenever that comes, I got to start, I got to start losing weight now. The whole coronavirus thing happened and, and you know, cause I was planning for worlds and I'm oh, sorry for, for nationals and then it, ideally, going to worlds yeah. afterwards and uh and, and my clients were too and everything and we were we had a whole year planned out and then all of a sudden this thing hit and we didn't know how long it was going to last and you know they were kind of rescheduling things and everything and and um we're like oh okay then they finally said well, you know it's probably not going to happen so i was like all right well i'll just start losing weight because i was gaining weight to go up weight class yeah and my training changed and my my diet changed and then I'm like two weeks into it. And then they send this email out. be like, Oh, we got a place in Chicago. We're booked. We're going to go back on. I'm like, all right, awesome. <laughs> so I go back like training again. I'm gaining weight again. And then it happens again. They're like, Chicago's not happening. We're closed. We're going to another like, oh. It happened like three or four times, wow. you know, with two different events, right? Nationals and world. To the point where I'm like, I can't handle this roller coaster anymore. Right? So, <laughs> You're messing with my emotions. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm now just like, all right, I'm just gonna cut some weight. I'm gonna drop back down. I'm gonna like change my intensity, my my programming up a little bit. And uh, I think you just you just spoke with um with Trevor, right? Trevor yeah, Trevor. yeah, a couple of yeah, I did yeah. yeah. He's uh, he writes my programming. And, oh, okay. Uh, and yeah, so like I I can't write my own programming, or else I'll. I'll, I'll bias my programming heavily into all the things that, and uh, and, I'll, and I'll, I won't hold myself accountable sometimes, things like that. So anyway, he writes my programming, does a really good job. He's amazing, and um, and he also like exposes me to to new stuff that I wouldn't think of otherwise. Mm. Like, even like like different rep schemes and different um, like just 
even frequencies and ways of, of, of attacking things and stuff like that. So anyway, it's really beneficial for me. I'm writing programs for other people. I get to experiment with it, see how it feels for me, and then apply what I like to other people. I love that kind of stuff. And uh, anyway, he writes my programming, and so he's like, well, what the hell's going on? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so we're just – we're we just kept the peak going, you know, and I yeah. – kind of like going through the motions and I'm supposed to max out tomorrow really. And, um, despite losing weight, it's kind of a roller coaster right now, but hardly the best conditions, but, but, uh, you know, who doesn't enjoy getting the max out, you know? So yes. I'm going to see where I'm at and go from there. You know, that's no, beautiful, man. I want to, I want to be really appreciative of your time, but, um, what are you, what are you working on? I mean, what's the rest of the year going to start for you? Any projects coming up? Yeah. So, um, so how my so I have this this idea. I want to create like a squat science course, right? Mm. Which is basically I think it'd be very beneficial for um, for personal trainers and strength coaches and things like that. People who physically teach the squat, um, but also for just powerlifters who who are either maybe just getting started or maybe they have like a. Um, they just have a, an affinity for the enigmatic, right? Like, mm. what is the the next? Like, what's the this? What can I do to be better? Like, you know, and, and like, so some people who geek out on that kind of stuff. Anyway, the thought is, like, I already wrote an ebook on this, and and then I took the ebook and tri- literally like last week turned it into a um, into a uh, uh, Kindle book. So it's yeah. actually on Amazon, you know. It, maybe one download so far, right? <laughs> no, but it's a, uh, but literally just last week. So it's on there. It's called, um, hack your squat. And so that's pretty cool. And I wanted to take that and expand on it and create video work. And I already have like a program that's that, that, um, basically does this where I can upload videos. I can make coursework. I can put quizzes on there. I can do all sorts of cool stuff. And it can even integrates with like, you know, email campaigns and gives people like badges for completing things. And, and I thought about creating, so so that's my my next endeavor. I've never done anything like that before. I've obviously I've taught, you know, how to squat. I've I wrote a book on it. I have all the principles. Everything's based off the principles. And I and I've squatted myself. And I, I know like so. And I have even these YouTube videos out there how to fix things and stuff. But I've never really integrated everything into coursework. And so that's the next big thing for me. I don't know what that when what the timeline is on that though i think i have that's like something that i don't even know how long that would take i would have to get started and then be like all right it took me this long to get through this much and then extrapolate that you know what i mean (laughs) so i'm hoping that um that that may be done like um maybe by like this time next year right to have all of that stuff all the video work and stuff done um i gotta learn how to how to put that stuff together too right like how to I, I just got like good microphone and things like that. So, all, so I, I'd have to like really like get into the thick of it. That's the kind of thing that I enjoy. I don't like outsourcing things for some reason. I just do it all myself. And so, so because of that, it takes a little longer, but it's, it's going to be fun. I, I can tell I'm going to enjoy it already. You know, it's going to be a good project. No, I'm sure it's uh, exciting. And I, I'm definitely looking forward to that coming out so I can drive more people your way to, to help fix their squat and, and improve obviously their, their own life, their health and their lifts. But mate, lastly, where can people find you? Where can people check out more about what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my website's MasseyFitness.com. Massey is M-A-S-I. So Massey Fitness. So it has all like, you know, information about, you know, who I am, my background, things like that on there. But it's also got, you know, my, uh, any kind of strength templates, hypertrophy templates that are on there. If you, if you're looking for just something to kind of 
run through. Uh, it's got my, my programming on there if you want diet or exercise programming, things like that. So you can kind of all that stuff. But um, as far as my Instagram, like I have a mix of like some good content that I put out there and also some personal stuff. And it's just always been my own kind of uh, it, I just started reposting some things that I like from other people. But it's 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 totally just genuine, good like content that I, I'm thinking about at the time. That's Massey underscore fitness. There's apparently two chicks in Australia that have Massey Fitness without the underscore. Oh, honestly. But they haven't posted anything since 2012. I'm like, get off my court. <laughs> like, totally getting all my traffic. <laughs> I'll hunt them down if they're in Australia and have a word. Yeah, right? Yeah. Somewhere in Sydney. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, Massey Fitness. Massey underscore fitness is my Instagram account. Um, so, hey, you know, follow me on there. And, and if you want more of this nonsense and you know, all yeah. this stuff that I throw a spew out of my mouth, uh, a lot of it's like, like the other day, or it was like a month ago, I hurt my back, something super stupid. And, um, and I just went through the, like, what did I do to get over that? And I think that this is a, this is like a big problem in, I don't want to say a problem, but it's like a void in, in all this information. Everybody puts out good content and like all these great athletes put out content, right? And they're, they're like, they're like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Here's me at the games. Here's me hitting a PR. Here's me, whatever. I'm at world's. But I don't. I follow a lot of great athletes, and at not one point do I see them like, "Oh crap, I missed this lift. I got injured, yeah. or whatever." What do they do? I'm genuinely curious. What do they do when they get injured? Do they go see an expert? Do they do it themselves? Do they mm. do some stretching? Do they do acupuncture? Like, what is their what's their routine for that? And and I think consequently, people don't know how to handle that stuff. And so I'm just like, "Hey, look, I hurt my back. It happens to everybody, you know. I was lifting, like, you know, I was warming up and." It just it, it kind of went. I think you know. Here's why I think it happened, and but here's the steps that I took that are pretty universal for like you know acute injuries for the lower back, and I just super simple stuff, and and uh, and I think that it was very valuable for anybody who would read that. So like that's the kind of stuff that you'll get on there uh, on the Instagram account. So hmm. you know, feel free to message me, reach out to me. You can always uh, email me, Mike at MasseyFitness.com. Anybody wants to reach out, you know, email me. I'll get back to you and chat with you. I'm cool about that. So, and all of those guys that will be will be linked to the show notes below, so they can go directly to to wherever you have sent them. So, Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you, man. I, I love this stuff. It's yeah. been a pleasure for me too. That's a wrap. <laughs>